0: Revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Liberty Talk FM.
1: Down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. The heavyweight champion is taking the mandatory eight out, and Foreman is as poised as can be.
2: Let's get it started
0: in here.
1: So, when I bust around, you break your We got five minutes for us to All of us out of the field. He's like, oh, he's a be a one. a Let's get it started, let's get it started in here Let's get it started, let's get it started in here Let's get it started,
3: let's get it started in here Let's get it started What's going on everybody? This is Sporting Edge. I'm here with my man Roz and we got a big show today. Two of the biggest sporting events of the year In the past week we had the NCAA championship game and we also have one of the best golf tournaments of the year, the Masters at Augusta. But first, Roz, I think we should break down this game. It was kind of a brutal game to watch. I mean, a great effort by UNC to take home Roy Williams' third title all-time, passing his idol, Dean Smith. Uh, there's only three coaches who have more titles than Roy Williams now, but you know, this game was really hard to watch for me. Uh, you know, I had UNC in my bracket, so I was you know on the edge of my seat the entire time, but I wrote down a bunch of stuff, and I had so much time to write things down because there were so many fouls called that the game I think took an hour longer than it needed to. 27 fouls in the second half, and and I think that really changed the pace of the game and kind of made the game a lot less exciting than it would have been without the fouls. Because you know Zach Collins got into a ton of foul trouble, Karnowski, I mean basically both sides. The, the pace of the game completely changed. The pace was extremely slow. It made the game tough to watch. So. What would you think? Seventy-one, sixty-five. The It was way under the total of 155. What, what were your thoughts on the game? Well, first off, what's up, what's up, what's up, everybody, just since Xander didn't bring
0: us in on that uh, classic intro. Well, I had intro. to change it
3: up a little bit. A little I mean, change. What's up, what's up? Well, I like a what's going on every once in a while.
0: I don't know. I feel like our listeners, they need to have that constant flow. But you know what, Xander? That's fine. We're talking about March Madness, like you said. UNC, Gonzaga, like you said, we had a lot of time to write stuff down. I mean, a lot of commercial breaks, a lot of pauses in the game. And Hey, that's actually good for advertising. Maybe we can get an ad spot next year, and we kind of call for a game similar to this, but uh, it was tough to watch. I mean, I was in a different boat than you were because all my money was on UNC. I wasn't going to win any of my bracket pools, so I was out about that, but when you got a bookie, it's always a nice little thing to do when you throw some money on a big game like this, so I had UNC. I was on the edge of my seat the entire time because To go along with the fact that the fouls were atrocious, there's 22 on each team. It's pretty nice how it worked out that way, that they had the same amount of fouls. But the shooting percentages for both squads was just absolutely horrendous. And I could not believe, at certain times, especially with UNC, when UNC could have pulled away with this game, they just could not put the ball in the hoop. So some statistics I have for you here, Xander, is their three-point shooting percentage, which is the most absurd thing I've ever seen in my entire life, is 14.8%, Xander.
3: It's, it's amazing that they that they won the game shooting the ball that bad. I mean, they had so many wasted possessions. I mean, you look at Justin Jackson, probably the best player on the floor in that game, and I give him a lot of credit. You know, ended up with 16 points, really put his nose to the grindstone, and didn't falter even though he went 0 of 9 from, from deep. Uh, Joel Berry also had a really rough night from behind the arc, but he, I think, was the MVP of this game. I mean, on two pretty bad ankles, scored 22 points, when seven of nineteen from the field really stepped up, facilitated this game because like you said, the shooting percentage was awful. UNC wasted so many possessions with rush shots. I mean, Justin Jackson, I, I wanted to talk to him for a second and tell him to calm down, you know, stop rushing the ball, stop chucking up threes because they had a lot of time to make things work. So it's it's amazing to me that they still won this game shooting the ball that badly, but on the same note, Nobody really stepped up for Gonzaga like they needed him to. I mean, I thought Nigel Williams Goss played his heart out, um, rolled his ankle late in the game and, you know, possibly he gets up a little higher in the air, maybe that shot goes over Kennedy Meek's hand before he blocks it and that game gets out of hand, but, you know, Karnowski, I thought, you know, went 9 and 9, had 9 points, 9 rebounds. I thought it was kind of a non-factor in this game. I thought Kennedy Meeks did an extremely good job guarding him in the low post. It was really apparent that Karnowski um, could only work on one side of the basket. I mean, he's notoriously known for his left-handed skills, and, and I think that was very apparent. Kennedy Meeks, I think UNC was very prepared to defend him, and I don't think he had as big of a game as he normally would have under the circumstances because, like I said before, UNC really matched up well with Gonzaga. But on the same note, Gonzaga matched up well with UNC. I mean, this is the first time that UNC won a game all year while being out-rebounded. And we talked about it in the Final Four. We talked about it before the championship game. UNC's bread and butter is the rebounding margin, getting offensive rebounds, and scoring second-chance points. And that's something that really didn't do well in this game. So I, I give them all the more credit for battling, for grinding, and winning this national championship game.
0: Yeah, and like you mentioned, so we talked about rebounds being a focal point during the Final Four, but Xander, you also said this a bunch on the previous show since we've been covering NCAA March Madness' entire month. Free throw percentage is another key aspect. And this game could have gone either way, which is pretty funny. So I guess in some sense, it didn't matter if both of them were shooting 100% or they were shooting the percent they did. So Gonzaga shot 65% from the free throw line, while UNC shot 57% from the free throw line. And we said... Through every single game, and what I said early on in the season, like regular season, conference play, your team needs to have a good point guard, and your team needs to be able to shoot free throws down the line. And neither of these teams were able to put that together. I know Joel Berry, we said had 22 points, played pretty well at the, for their point position. Nigel Williams-Goss, who took over, and like I and Xander, when I was listening to you, I was thinking about this. So Nigel Williams-Goss, he had to take over this game. And it right. he needed because the big men were in foul trouble. Karnowski, I don't know what happened. they put a lid' like especially on for him all those little low post touches he had, and he just could not put it in the basket, really tough to watch, so Nigel's goss had to take over. He shot five of seventeen Xander. and that's not traditional like not traditional for him, and I think we can look at the ankle injury like you said, but that came a little bit later in the game, although he took a beating in the game before, so I think a lot of stuff was pressing both these teams. I think UNC had the pressure of not wanting to lose two in a row. I think Gonzaga had the pressure of this being their first ever championship appearance for this program. A lot of pressure, and you could feel it. You can sense it when you were watching this game. So it was tough, like you said, but the statistics aren't pretty, and maybe that's why this game was so close in the end and neither team could pull away.
3: Right, and I think Gonzaga, you know, They were for real. A lot of people going into this tournament, you know, we kind of wondered, is this Gonzaga team really worthy of a number one seed, you know, talent-wise and performance-wise? And they really were. They absolutely came to play in this game. And they came up short, you know, just, they didn't, like you said, they didn't really have that playmaker. I think Nigel Williams-Goss was going to be that guy coming down. I mean, Zach Collins, pro prospect, ended up playing 14 minutes in this game and was on a little bit of a hot streak. Got called for a couple cheap fouls, which, you know, I wasn't really happy with how the refs handled this game. I thought there was way too many ticky-tack fouls. I mean, that's something you don't want to see in a championship game, especially. You know, you want to let the players decide the game. Zach Collins, I thought, had a little chance there at the beginning of the second half to take over this game. Got into foul trouble and eventually fouled out. So that kind of left Gonzaga with only a couple of guys left to make plays. And Nigel Williams-Goss has been that guy all year who has been, you know, a guy who can shoot, a guy who can facilitate and really make plays. I also give a lot of credit to Josh Perkins. Josh Perkins did not score a single point in Gonzaga's Final Four matchup, came out, scored 13 points, went three of six from three-point range, really stepped up for his team. But, you know, end of the game, Kennedy Meeks comes up with an enormous block. I think, you know, I would give him the MVP of the tournament for this North Carolina team, I think, through the Final Four in the championship game. He was a stalwart on defense, was pounding the boards, and, you know, did great on that jump ball. I don't know if his hand was out of bounds there at the end, but they didn't make the call. A lot of hustle from him, but, you know, Justin Jackson, Joel Berry, Meeks, Hicks, and Pinson, they did a fantastic job. Congratulations to North Carolina. That's all the time we have here on the Sporting Edge. We will catch you after the break. We have a very special guest coming on the show, and we will reveal him after the break. Bye-bye. What's up, what's up everybody, we're back at the Sporting Edge and we actually have our first professional athlete on the show today, Uh, Joey Calistri, went to Deerfield High School with us, was a 2012 ESPN Rise Top 100 recruit, went to Northwestern University, is the number two leading goal scorer in program history, is a current member of the Chicago Fire and as I read on the Wikipedia page, you're currently on loan for the Tulsa Roughnecks, is that true? That's right, yeah. Coming live from Tulsa. Wow. Live from Tulsa. That's awesome, man. So we like I said, you went to Deerfield High School. You led Deerfield to a, a the best record in school history in two thousand nine. You guys went nineteen and four. Eighty nine goals and forty one assists over your career there. I remember I, I went to a couple games. It was quite awesome to see. So Joey, you know, when did you realize that you were good enough, you know, maybe to be a professional soccer player and, you know, good enough to go division one? Um
2: you know, for me, growing up, that was obviously always the goal and the, and the dream that you have. Um, I would say that I didn't really think it was a realistic possibility until I got to, uh, like, my, fre- my freshman, sophomore year of high school. Started playing well there and stuff, and then, uh, you know, from then on, I kind of focused on getting, you know, into a good Division one soccer program and school, something that covers both of them. Um, so I think I found a great match in Northwestern and had a great time there. Absolutely. Luckily, I was able to have a, a good amount of success there, and I think that's when I kind of uh, you know, started to realize that the, the dream might actually be able to, to happen.
0: Absolutely. And when you were getting recruited to uh, Northwestern, did Connor Holloway and Scotty Lincoln kind of help out with that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, a little bit.
2: Much. <laughs> if I didn't go to Northwestern, I think they probably never would have talked to me again. But what, Now that <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of curious, what were kind of the other options you had out there, Joey? Uh, you know, For me, actually, I didn't really have that many options. I was recruited by... The one school that I really wanted to go to for soccer before I kind of focused on Northwestern was Indiana, and they stopped recruiting me pretty much after, like, during my junior year. Wow. wow. How dumb do they, so they feel now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it always felt good when we played them and stuff, and you know, I think there's a mutual respect with them, because they have a very good program, but, um, but yeah, that was kind of the other program that I really wanted to get involved with and, and possibly go to. But basically for me, it came down to Northwestern or Xavier in Ohio. And uh, I like the coaching staff at both schools. I just thought being at, a, you know, a top academic school and, and something so close to Chicago would be a, a good fit for me.
3: Yeah, I mean, Northwestern's super close to us. I think, you know, it's like a half hour down the highway. So, you know, Joey, I want to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, you coming in. You were the unanimous selection for Big Ten Freshman of the Year. So you can get, you kind of take us through your first season with the Wildcats and, you know, what that was like coming on and, you know, having such a big impact on the field in your first year with the team?
2: Yeah, it was pretty sweet. Um, obviously, as a freshman, uh, sorry, my, my Croatian roommate right now on the roughnecks just walked by and tapped me on the shoulder. Nice.
0: Croatia. <laughs> so what's up? Checking us out now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um,
2: but yeah, no, my, my first year was, was awesome. Um, it was a big learning experience for me, and I think uh, playing in the Big Ten Conference, it's a really physical conference, and uh, I think as a, as a little scrawny freshman, that kind of toughened me up a little bit. And uh, I knew growing in that that our, the forward from the previous year had graduated, so I knew there was an opportunity for playing time, and pretty much just worked hard in the off season, came in fit, you know, and then was able to to
0: have a good a good freshman season. Absolutely. So me and Xander, uh, we were we were close to making it pro. I was going to be a professional basketball player, and uh, Xander a professional <laughs> baseball player. But uh, unfortunately, injuries and uh, school didn't it didn't pan out for us. But yeah, lack
2: of lack of talent lack, is
3: one of the big
0: factors.
2: Timing is really important. You guys just didn't have the timing on your
0: side. <laughs> I guess. And you know what? We'll, we'll learn and hopefully we instill it in our children and they'll be pro athletes. But I have a question because even when I did play sports, and Xander, you might not agree, maybe I just have a soft mindset. But when I was playing sports, I played football, and we see this guy who's like six eight at the high school level, just totally ready to crush me on the field. Is there any team – when you were at the Division One level at Northwestern that really just had that big team and you're like, wow, this is going to be a physical matchup, and you kind of wanted to avoid playing, or was it that you really wanted to play them instead, actually?
2: No, I really love playing those teams. Um, there are a couple of teams, like Michigan State, they always had some, some giant trees in the back um, as defenders, <laughs> but, but I love playing those teams just because you know, I could use my, my quickness, and it's kind of like a mind game when you're playing those types of defenders, so you have to outthink them, uh, but I really enjoy those games.
0: Absolutely, and so you said Michigan State's one of them. What was which which team posed the biggest challenge in your four years at Northwestern? Let's
2: see. Um, we played some really strong teams. I think the last two years, Maryland came into the Big Ten. They were they were always a dominant team, but we actually played very well against them always, which was which was pretty cool. Um, Indiana was always a really really tough battle. Obviously, for me, it was always fun. Um, Absolutely. And then Michigan State, I'd say, was probably the third team that we always had a,
3: a good battle with perfect yeah and so joey you you guys went to the ncaa tournament three out of your four years there so how does uh that you know I'm, i'm not really into soccer that much is that similar to the you know like march madness is a 64 team thing or how does that work
2: uh 32 teams but uh but yeah it's pretty pretty intense you know once you get to the end of the season you're always uh the main factor for making the tournament is your rpi ranking which is basically your strength of schedule wow um and then obviously if you win your conference tournament you get an automatic bid but but we were my freshman and sophomore year, we were pretty much right on the borderline of of being on the bubble.
1: That's and, crazy. Uh,
2: yeah, I remember my freshman year we were watching the selection show. Oh, that's so action. cool. And our, our coach always like thought he was like the man when it came to like figuring out the RPI and who was gonna make the tournament. <laughs> he had these like spreadsheets and stuff, but I really see thought he did.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know about Xander, but I had I had my NCAA soccer bracket made every year. Um, I'm very, of course, yeah. I, my bracket looks spectacular. I was very close to actually having a perfect bracket. My uh, or your junior year there, I had you guys winning it all. I was so, gonna say at least Final Four, right? It le- oh, absolutely! You guys were yeah. at the Final Four every year. So yeah, right. it, North, I had a lot of love for the Northwestern team I put out there. Um, <laughs> but you had great times at Northwestern probably great times at Deerfield, however much fun you can really have at Deerfield. We just kind of hang out at the pot bellies. I remember when we were younger and you ride your bike around, but we're pro time. It's, it's go time. You're actually, your job now is to play soccer. I know you're on loan right now. So do you want to kind of give us a little bit of insight on this loan and how long you expect to be on the loan or what it's set to contract wise?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, last year as a rookie, I played, I was able to play a good amount, which was nice. I played in about half of our regular season games and, uh, you know, I scored, had a couple of good games and stuff, so I think I had a pretty pretty solid rookie year. Um, this year, you know, there, there's always veteran guys and numbers that that make it difficult to, you know, see the starting eleven, especially as like, a younger attacking player. So the the thought process was that I come out here, I play, you know, ninety minutes week in week out, which is really good for development, especially as a 23 year old. And then, you know, whenever you know, if I keep uh, you know playing well out here, they can call me back if. Somebody gets injured, they can call me back. So it's really kind of a, an indefinite situation, but but I'm enjoying it. It's a good time out here.
3: Yeah, that's cool, man. So we got the date. Uh, you're officially signed with Chicago Fire, December 17, 2015. I'm sure you remember the day and, and what it was like. Can you kind of take us through, you know, signing your first professional contract and, you know, finally realizing that you had made it to the professional level? It's stressful, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure a, it is. It's stressful. Because there's a whole like uh, like month period after your college senior season's over, and then from then you're pretty much just waiting for the call. And uh, I remember me and another kid who ended up signing a homegrown Drew Connor, who went to Wisconsin. We were calling each other like three times a day. You know, did you hear anything from them? Um, and then finally, we we both got the call from them, and we didn't talk to each other for like three days because we didn't know if the other person got the call too. <laughs> um, yeah. So we went from talking to each other like every day. To not talk for like four days, and then we're like, "Yo, did you uh, do you get the call?" And
3: he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Let's go." There you go. uh, Was was there any other teams like that were you know in contact with you, or is it just back and forth with the fire?
2: Um, so for me, it was a little different because I played for their academy growing up, so I was a homegrown player, which meant they had first rights to sign me. Um, so pretty much, there's an MLS combine after your after the college season. Had I not been a homegrown player, I would have gone to that. But since I was a homegrown player, um, I was kept off the combine. And the fire ended up scooping me up before any other team.
0: Heck yeah. And who doesn't want to be in Chicago? We got the best summers for that stuff. And you know what? You'll have an offseason where you can travel the world like all the other professional athletes that we haven't had on the show yet. But like Xander said earlier, this is our first. We got our first professional athlete. We're super stoked that Joey wanted to join the show. He's in Tulsa right now with the Tulsa Roughnecks. They're part of the USL. We uh, Thank you so much for being part of this segment. We're going to come back with more Joey after the break, everybody. But you know where to find us. This is the Sporting Edge at LibertyTalk.fm. Feel free to contact us on Facebook. Search Joey up. He's got a Wikipedia page. I mean, that's something me and Xander don't have yet. But look at his Wikipedia page. Look at his stats. We're all having a good time here at the Sporting Edge. See you soon.
1: What's up, everybody? Bubba here. It's finally here. that will help you, give you a better idea of what's going on in the market. All you need to do to get a hold of the Bubba Report is go to thebubbershow.org and sign up for the newsletter, or you can email me direct at bubb at thebubbershow.org. We want you to have this report because we've got over 150 years of experience talking about markets, getting ready for the trading, and puts you in the best position to have successful. So email me at bub at the to get a copy of your report or go right to the website, thebubbershow.org. Make sure you get it. It's a must-have for every investor and trader. The bubble report
0: What's up, what's up everybody? This is Wits and Roz. As you know, we are joined by our first celebrity and professional guest, Joey Calistri. And Joey, I like to I like to lighten the mood a little bit, although I'm pretty sure the mood on this show is completely light, so you're like I mentioned, you're you're kind of a celebrity. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you in the celebrity status and Xander.
2: Uh, I wouldn't say that. I don't wait. know about
0: that. We have we have a stay woke type thing. This is how you know somebody's a celebrity. So me and Xander listen to the show, pardon my take. They're part of Barstool. Are you a, are you an avid listener of that at all?
2: Uh I have like once or twice, but not not consistently.
0: Perfect. So we learned how to make it big and how to kind of get that celebrity status is get that blue check mark on Twitter, Xander. And I don't know if you noticed this, Xander, but Joey Calistri has. That blue check mark on Twitter. So we got to ask you, who's the most famous person that's tweeted you or followed you?
2: All right. So this is actually kind of funny. You ask that because like two days ago, maybe the coolest thing that's ever happened to me happened. Um, I woke up in the morning, and the Chicago Fire just signed Bastian Schweinsteiger, which is wow. like a decently well-known soccer player. Absolutely, from Germany. No, he's one of the best. Uh, one of the best center midfielders of our generation. Um, so I woke up like two mornings ago and. <laughs> And he followed me on Instagram and Twitter, which was like, whoa, <laughs> this guy's got like four like, million Like, I'm not like big into to social media or anything, but uh, this dude's got like four million like followers and he wow. follows like a hundred
0: people. And wow, you're one of those. See, this is, Xander, this is why we ask these questions. That was, that and this is, the moment. this is like, why, oh. yeah, you are definitely a celebrity now, Joey. I mean, he might, you might trade places with him. I don't know if you, I just, uh, I just,
2: know, I just know celebrities, I
0: guess. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think that's a sign actually, Joe, I think you're going to be headed over to the Bundesliga. I think he might be a Byron Munich star and we'll give it one year, one and a half years until we uh, see that happen. Then you will have to come back on the show. Maybe bring back uh, Sebastian Schweinstaga with you and uh, we'll have a little dual show there. But Xander, yeah, I'm glad we got our first celebrity and professional on. So here we go. Another quick question, because I've kind of just brought it up quickly. Um, Europe, is that kind of an aspiration for you at all?
2: Um, You know, kind of, but, you know, at the same time, I'm very happy playing in MLS and for the fire. I think it's uh – uh. It's a really cool league to be a part of right now. It's like 22 years old, and you know the the market is getting you know exponentially bigger every year. You know, I see the the stadiums that are being built, the crowds that are showing up to games, um, and you know, TV viewers and everything like that. Everything's going up, so it's a really really cool league to be a part of right now. And I honestly don't you know have any aspirations of leaving anytime soon. I'd like to play here as long as I can. And uh, obviously, you don't know what's going to happen, but I think it's a really cool league to be a part of.
3: Yeah, so, so what's it like, you know, professional athlete, I mean, you're traveling, you know, I guess all around the country, playing all sorts of different teams, so, you know, what's it like travel-wise? Um, do you like it? Do you like the grind? Is it is it kind of tough, you know, traveling all the time? You know, take us through what it's like for
2: you. Yeah, I mean, the grind is pretty tough. I think American sports in general are a lot, a lot, you know, in terms of travel, it's more demanding than playing in a European league because, you know, we're traveling, yeah. you know, from coast to coast, New York to L.A. and stuff like that, but... You know, we had, we had one trip last year where it was within seven days we had a game in Vancouver and then New England and then New York. So that's a lot of travel. But but I think it's cool. You get to see a lot of cool places that you wouldn't see otherwise. And, you know, it takes you all over the country, Canada and stuff. So I think it's a good time. Right.
0: Do, you, uh, do your parents make it out to all the games? Oh, yeah. I mean, his mom's a, a pretty
2: strong Khaleesi crew at, at all the home games.
0: The best fan you could ever have is Joey's mom. Elsa Calistri is literally the greatest sports fan I've ever seen in my entire life, and I exactly. thought I was a good sports fan, to be honest. So that it's really impressive. I'm glad they're traveling, and you mentioned traveling, so what has been your favorite location to travel to so far?
2: Let's see. Um, Portland, in terms of like soccer environment, was probably the coolest. We went there for preseason last year, and our last preseason game was against the Timbers in and, and their stadium. They sell it out every game, oh. uh, and their fans are like diehard soccer fans, man. It's pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool there. So, is it so you said the Timbers now? Seattle, have you been there yet?
2: Yeah, I traveled there last year. There's they fill out um, the Sounders or the the Sounders and the the Seahawks share Stadium, but uh, but yeah, they fill it out. They get like
0: 50,000 at games and stuff like that, so it's insane there, too. That's what I was curious about because I've heard that that's one of the toughest places you can go play in the MLS. That sound does it actually shake you when you're on the field? You're kind of like, whoa, I'm vibrating left and right now.
2: Yeah, it's pretty insane, man. They got like like fireworks going off before games and everything and, like it. The crowd is just insanely loud, man. But uh, but yeah, I think they're in Portland are, are pretty similar. In, in the fact that like it like gives you goosebumps sometimes. But it's pretty cool. Then once you get in the game, I don't really notice that as much. But
3: but, you know, warming up and stuff like that, you kind of look around. And you're like, well, this is pretty sweet. Yeah, so, you know, talking about things that are pretty cool, I think you got to bring up your first co- your first career goal. Got the date, June 18th of last year <laughs> against Colorado. Um, do you remember the goal? Do you remember the play and, you know, can you just tell us a little bit about what it was like, you know, scoring your first goal in the MLS?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was it was an awesome moment for me. Um, I actually like sprained my ankle like 5 minutes into the second half, so I was I was kind of limping around for most of the half, to be honest, but uh Give them the okie doke. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Just hopping around, but but yeah, in like the 81st minute, I got a, a good chance to score and I put it away, and it was I kind of like blacked out after that. I don't really remember what happened, but but it was sweet. It just sucks that we uh, weren't able to hold on for the tie of that game.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely the highs and lows of a game where you're you're make a huge impact play, and then you got to remember it's all about the team stuff. But really yeah. quickly, focusing back on the impact play. Little disappointed we didn't get that uh, traditional soccer player celebration with the uh, shirt coming off and running into this like crowd. I mean, I'm sure everybody would have loved to see that. I mean, that would be the Deerfield hot or
1: highlight yeah, for man, years. I don't know. Maybe for the
2: second one. The first one I was kind of like, like, holy crap, like this happened. Like I had no idea what I was doing. Then um, <laughs> I kind of just let myself run around and blow off all the adrenaline. But maybe for the second one, I'll. I'll get into that. Probably yeah, I, not
0: though. I guess he's more professional Xander. I mean the most exciting thing I've ever do is hit a three-pointer in a rec league game at the Sac center, but he's hitting MLS goals. So <laughs> he's going to work on his celebrations. I'm uh, I'm going to set him up with Rob Gronkowski actually. I got him as a personal contact and um cool. we're going to go we're going to go from there, get his celebrations <laughs> up and everything. So as an MLS person as a professional athlete which we keep hammering into you right now, are you do you have an agent? Do you have a manager and are you are you kind of tugged around a little bit, or do you have kind of control of your own life right now in professional sports?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, most, the pretty much everybody in MLS has an agent. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, for me, it's not too tough of a transition because I'm from Chicago. Um, so it's not like I have to move across states and and stuff like that and leave my family. But you know, I thought for me the transition was easy to, you know, at least move to this level. Obviously, playing at the levels very different than playing at other any other level, but. You know, for me, I, I thought it's been pretty smooth and,
0: and it's it's good time. Absolutely. And uh, what are so off season a little bit longer in the MLS, right? You guys play through the summer, and then what's kind of your off season like?
2: Yeah, so pretty much the winter, um, I think, like from November to like January is kind of the off season. And uh, you know, we didn't make the playoffs last year, unfortunately, um, which we're trying to do this year, obviously. But that kind of makes the the, the off season a little too long because um, mm-hmm. you obviously you're sitting around obviously you got to let your legs recover for a little bit cuz it's a long season but at the same time you know you're rearing to get back into it and you want to get back into training and everything cuz you want to make a run next year so you got to kind of balance some um, you know not overworking your body in the
0: off season so you can be ready for preseason but at the same time you know, coming in really fit and ready to go. Perfect. And that off season, though, it gives you a little bit of time to check on the other things in the sporting world. And you made fun of me before because I made you sound like you didn't know anything about sports. It was just more of uh, me just talking out of my butt. But anyways, we just saw the NCAA championship happen. We have the Masters going on right now. Are you are you a golf guy? Do you golf yourself? And is there a person, big golf, guide, big big golf. golf guy? Is there yeah. Who's your favorite golfer in the tournament right now?
2: Well, it's kind of a... Uh... Bittersweet, because my favorite's probably Ricky Fowler right now, but I picked my guy that I that I picked to win was Jordan Spieth. Oh, um, tough run for him right that's now. That's not going too well right now. Um, hey,
3: he's still alive, so you never know. It's possible, man. It's possible. It's man. It's possible. You never know.
2: You never know. But yeah, I I really like Fowler too. I like uh, he's got a little swagger on him, and he's a uh, he's a good golfer, but. But yeah, I love watching the Masters, man.
0: Yeah, hopefully Fowler found that girlfriend. You know, they took that picture at the Ryder Cup, and he was the one standing by like a goofball by himself. But who knows? Maybe <laughs> right, right, Joey, right. you guys can work on it. Get a double date. Do it like Tinder group is a new thing, isn't it, Xander? They can <laughs> no they can thanks. group uh, up on that's Tinder. What I heard. Yeah. You so know,
3: I'm not too up to date on my, my Tinder. But so Ricky, when I you yeah, don't lie, Xander.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, guess, I think Xander's a little bit of a Tinder guy here. <laughs> I've
3: been swiping all day every day yeah. for the past year. Man. It's an I'm addiction, actually.
0: Sure. <laughs> but we'll set up we'll set up Ricky and. And, uh, and Joey they'll go on a double date I think Ricky's a good guy for that and back to the basketball for a little bit was, what do you think about that game kind of give us a quick little highlight on what you thought if you did have the time to watch that game
2: yeah I watched uh, I actually had North Carolina win in my bracket but it wasn't enough to uh, I guess make up for my other poor decisions um, my, <laughs> my roommate yeah my roommate actually went to North Carolina which is pretty cool so he's a pretty diehard fan um but yeah i thought it was a good game i I thought north carolina was a better team i thought they were gonna win um so yeah
0: perfect that's that's what we need xander is a winner over here he uh won his bracket pool actually so yeah yeah
3: he had north carolina too um came in second because of the tiebreaker needed a couple more points you know if they would have shot six from 27 from three i think i could have pulled it out but that's all the time we have here at the sporting edge everybody this is Joey Kalistri, professional soccer player for the Chicago Fire on loan to the Tulsa Roughnecks right now. Thanks a lot for being on the show, Joey. Really loved having you here. If you miss a show, you know where to find us, libertytalk.fm, and we'll be back next segment with will talk about the Masters and kind of finishing the show up. We'll see ya. you. What's up, everybody? We're back here at the Sporting Edge. Just had a great talk with Joey Calistri, standout for the Chicago Fire. Went to high school with him. He's a great guy. He was a great interview. But Roz, Masters, best golf tournament of the year, in my opinion. And we've had a great first couple days here. The cut has been in. we got two more days to decide the champion. And, you know, day one was awesome. I mean, Charlie Hoffman coming out from nowhere, shooting a 65, was unbelievable on the back nine. He had some other guys come out. Ricky Fowler really came to play on day two. Bill Mickelson's playing some great golf. And another guy, Sergio Garcia, 73 starts in majors, zero wins, 22 top tens, three top tens at the Masters. Does Sergio have what it takes to finally bring one home? Uh, That would be really
0: interesting to me. And Sergio Garcia is the guy with a little feud against Tiger Woods, right? I believe so. I I don't
3: know how well liked he is on the tour, but he's a pretty good golfer. That's totally fine. And
0: maybe this is a little, uh, we take a little shot at Tiger Woods. It's not me this time. It's Sergio Garcia. So everyone take it easy who listens to the show, but my, uh, my masters, they ended a little early, but I I got back on the horse and I'm excited for what's going to happen today. Uh, and to close out the weekend, but Dustin Johnson, who I, uh, I went hard with in the DraftKings game, Xander, I picked him for three teams, put a good amount of money on it. And, uh, Unfortunately, we're in school still, so I'm in class and I get the sad notification around 2.03 Eastern time that Dustin Johnson had attempted to go to the tee, but he left it and he's not participating. So now I'm out of money, Xander. But like you said, this field has been so spectacular that people are already forgetting about Dustin Johnson. His back will be fine. We'll see him at the rest of the majors this year, but who I'm finally excited about, and you can get mad at me because we had this dispute last week, Ricky Fowler, his performance, he was able I was,
3: uh, I was on Ricky Fowler. I, I... And I was
0: against Ricky Fowler. So I'm I'm actually very impressed with what he's been able to accomplish so far in a very tough tournament, Xander, because the winds are howling and if you watch sports all over America right now, the winds, the weather, it is it's not gracious, it's not what you want to see when you're watching sports. I mean, you were trying to go to a St. Louis Cubs. St. Louis Cardinals, Chicago Cubs game earlier in the week, you were unable to go because of a nice storm that occurred. Yeah, we,
3: we drove all the way down from Bloomington and were outside of Ballpark Village, got a notification that the game was being postponed till the next day. So we got back in the car, got back by 1.30. It was a five-hour trip. Tried to salvage it a little bit by stopping at Cracker Barrel. Um, didn't really make up for the baseball game that we missed, but, you know, what are you going to do? But, you know, Ricky Fowler, Roz... Really came to play on day two. You know, came out of the gate with an eagle on two, a birdie on three, played a bogey-free round, and is a guy who I I believe is the favorite right now to take home the Masters title. I mean, I I think out of all the guys at the top, I think he does have the most potential. I don't necessarily think he's going to win, but right now if I had to pick one guy in the top ten of these rankings, I think I would take Ricky Fowler. I mean, he played such a great round on Friday, that I mean, I think these next two rounds, he might be able to pull away with it, Roz.
0: No, I feel you. And I think like I. the reason I brought him up is because I think he's moved up the lip, list onto my favorite. Would I want Charlie Hoffman to win it all? Heck yeah. I mean, I'm in another little pool and Charlie Waste Hoffman's my guy. Baby. Waste management, baby. That's what we like to see. And I would love for the upset. And I don't know if you can consider upsets in golf. I guess anybody can win on any given day. But I want to tell you, Rory McIlroy, who finished at plus one after the two days. So obviously not missing the cut there. He's still hanging around. He's uh, we got to, hopefully the weather changes this weekend. Hopefully he comes out ready to go. I know there's a lot of talk coming into the Masters how he kind of flounders. What well, I'm forgetting the word here flops a little bit when he gets to the Masters. But I think he's kept it close, plus one, nothing too scary. And I think he's going to come out and I think he's going to perform on Saturday and Sunday and make it interesting. I would love to see kind of a showdown. How about this, Andrew? How about a playoff
3: with Ricky Fowler and Rory McIlroy? Would that be what that'd the fans be, want? That would be pretty sweet. I mean, you know, Roy McIlroy has not won the Masters. It's the one tournament he has, the one major he has not won to complete the Grand Slam. And Ricky Fowler is another guy who has not won a major yet. So that, that would be awesome. But you know what? This course, it, it's, it's amazing how much these guys, you know, some of them have done great. But the struggle for the best golfers in the world, it just makes you think, you know, what it would be like to go out there as, you know, a 30 handicap like I am, I think I, I might be able to break 200. But, you know, the win the first couple of days of the story, the course kind of dried out. And you can just see how fast these greens are playing. I mean, it's unbelievable. These guys are barely touching the ball on their putts, and, and it just rolls right off the table. But, Roz, you know, Phil Mickelson is a guy I talked about last week who, at 46, is trying to accomplish what Jack Nicklaus did at age 46 by winning the Masters. And Phil is actually a couple months older. At the same time, so he would be the oldest Masters champion ever if you were to take home the title. And I think he's right in the thick of things. Like you said, you know, Rory is right there at plus one. I think, you know, even if you're at plus three or four, I mean anything can happen. If you have a round like Charlie Hoffman did the first day and go, you know, seven under, eight under and a round, I mean anything can happen. And you can also fall off the table. I mean, Amen, Amen corner. There's a, there's a lot of tough holes on this course and you know you saw Danny Willett on Friday go quad on his first hole you saw Jordan Spieth take a quad bogey i mean there's so many things that can happen and i'm really looking at Sergio though i think this could be the, the day that he finally does it wow. on sunday you are you are on the Sergio bandwagon my friend
0: and i mean I, I would i'd like that for you as well cuz like you said you've put some money into his banker on his back so me and you, we we disagree on everything, pretty much. But I I'll help you out this time, in the Masters. Just because my money's gone doesn't mean you have to lose your money and everything. <laughs> Maybe I'll re up because DraftKings has a nice little deal where you can start over on Saturday, re pick your team. This time, don't add Dustin Johnson unless you're that confident that you could pick with one less golfer. So you're going Sergio Garcia to finish the rest of the way. I don't know. I'm uh, it's a little trapped in my mind who I'm thinking about. I. Ricky Fowler, because he's on my team, I'd like to see him go the rest of the way. But I don't think he's going to do it. I think there's still that collapse potential. I think we're going to see Sp- Spieth go further down, maybe another quad, get a, make it a little I more interesting. I,
3: th- I think one was enough.
0: I love that ESPN finally came out and said, hey, he's mortal. I mean, when was he not mortal? Has he been an immortal golfer,
3: Xander? Like, this is absurd. No, I, I mean, he, he's been. For, for his age, what he's done already is pretty remarkable. I mean, I'm not going to obviously not – Going to put him in the Tiger Woods range, but at age, I think, 23, he's done some unbelievable things. But I think another guy to look out for on Saturday and Sunday is Jason Day. Jason Day was plus two on day one, went even on day two, and he's a guy I think who can make a little bit of a run because, as you know, he was the world's number one golfer. And, you know, we weren't sure if he was going to play this week with, you know, stuff that's going on with his mom, but he came out. He's played some decent golf, he has not lost a tournament which is something you can only lose a tournament on the first two days. You can't win it unless you're Tiger Woods and you're up by 13 strokes on the rest of the field. But, I mean, you know, we got the leader at 4-under right now. Like I said, anything can happen. And I think Jason Day is a guy who can get really hot because we've seen what he can do on the green. I mean, he is one of the best putters on tour. And I think he's a guy, along with Phil, who could definitely make runs on Sunday. No, absolutely. And again... Anything that gets me
0: closer to a playoff so I can not focus on schoolwork keeps me uh, keeps me on the couch. I love that on Sunday. I mean, you kind of miss that aspect when there's no NFL football to go back to. But like I was saying, the youngin, we, I call them immortal, which he absolutely is in Spieth. But you're leaving out. How about Rom hanging around that other young? The Spaniard hanging around. You liked him earlier or last week when we were talking about this, and he's hanging in there. I think he has an opportunity.
3: John John Rahm has been playing some fantastic golf. You know, he's one under, shot two under yesterday. I mean, had a pretty solid back nine, took a a double on 10. Um, But, you know, like I said, that's one of the hardest stretches on the course. Really rebounded well from his round one. You know, two bogeys on 17 and 18. Wasn't sure where he was going to go, but shot two under on the front nine and ended up two under for the day. So solid John Rahm, and he's a solid player. And I think he's also a guy, you know, maybe he can catch lightning in a bottle on his first appearance in the Masters.
0: That'd be nice, right? I mean, that would be a nice little story, just like that playoff story. I mean, it's perfect. And hey, Sporting Edge fans, I hope you guys look closely when you're watching it at Gussie. You never know, me and Xander might be uh, chilling on the 18th hole at the end there. Just a little surprise. If not, then at least you uh, listen to us now. We're up to 13,000 downloads a month. So everybody, we appreciate you. We've got our Facebook page ready to go. We're racking up the likes here in the last two weeks. We're super excited to connect with you, our audience, our fans. Wits and Roz here. Thank you so much for joining the show. We are the sporting edge here at LibertyTalk.fm, and we will see you next week, everybody. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times.
1: Liberty Talk FM.